What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod, the president's nearly $6 trillion budget proposal. Senator Elizabeth Warren explains the part of the plan just for billionaires. What this is really about is whether or not people who are making their income by the appreciation of stocks or other investments should have to pay something to make this country run. Me? I still support a wealth tax across the board. That is a different thing. And things get interesting. Why not celebrate the 11 billion that he's but, paying? It's more than, than, than every senator and every, I, everyone in public government for their entire do, career do you want won't, me to won't contribute that much. Do you, do you I, want okay. to give me a chance to answer? Okay. I celebrate success. How many times okay. do I but have to say that? He's not a free can I, that. can I finish my sentence? Plus, backing up those buybacks, whether stock repurchases are just part of the market game. I don't immediately assume that all CEOs are robber barons and, and trying to game the system. And we've got a sweet treat for you. I haven't been to a Dairy Queen in quite some time. It's Tuesday, March 29th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Today on our podcast, we're focusing on President Biden's $5.8 trillion budget proposal released by the White House yesterday. Well, good afternoon, folks. It's been a busy couple days. There are billions set aside for investments in defense spending, infrastructure, and pandemic preparedness. And this part caught the attention of the Squawk Box team, Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Those investments are paid for, in part, by higher taxes on the wealthy and on corporations. Here's Joe Kernan. President Biden making his case for his nearly $6 trillion budget. Elon Moy joins us now with more. Hi, Elon. Well, good morning, Joe. President Biden tried to defend his budget, but Republicans on Capitol Hill pronounced it dead on arrival. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell took aim at the elimination of tax breaks for the oil and gas industry in particular. Amid higher prices at the pump, he said the White House should be encouraging domestic production, not penalizing it. President Biden would rather grind his ideological axe and escalate his holy war on made-in-America fossil fuels. This, this is the budget request of an administration that is completely disconnected from reality. Republicans also dismissed the president's increase in defense spending as puny and the funding for other domestic programs as wasteful. Now, compared to fiscal year 2021, the president's budget calls for a 9.8 percent boost in defense spending, a 27 percent increase for health and human services. Education spending would go up by 20.9 percent. The SBA would get 21 percent more. And the budget for the Department of Transportation would rise by 6 percent. Yesterday, President Biden said keeping America safe and reducing the deficit were two of his biggest priorities. America is more prosperous, more successful, and more just when it is more secure. We can restore fiscal responsibility and safeguard our security at home and abroad. 
But even some Democrats, guys, acknowledged yesterday that getting any of this passed will be an uphill battle. Back over to you. That's right. And uh, I wonder about politics all the time, Ilan. And, and it, it, there's times when we're going to labor over the specifics of this hundred million dollars. And we're going to look at, and, and I've read Jason Furman's piece, and I'm looking through the intricacies. And, you know, when I finish studying everything and totally understand it, and, and I realize it's probably going absolutely nowhere. It's all going to get it, blown it, to yeah. smithereens anyway. And that's the fifth arcane, you know, proposal that never had a chance that we all need to jump in. But it's the proposal that you think doesn't have a chance and all of a sudden there's some deal that cuts, we'll that gets cut. Right. That's what, that, that, and I think that's why it's conversation. stuff. I think part of it's where the conversation moves and sort well, of we where the goalpost. No, no, Let's where the goalpost. conversation. We always No, because say that. it's a journey. It's a journey. And I think conversations we were having a decade ago a were things journey. that people thought were completely off the table that are now totally on the table. Well, so I think over time you will see that conversation shift. I, I appreciate the conversation because I like talking about why this is a good idea to have stock buybacks, why you shouldn't be stopping that. If you think about the flow of oh, capital, I agree with that. why you go I, through I mean, it. Some of the, I think it, it's a reminder of why our system to, works. We need to decide whether what you don't want to mess the 16th with. Amendment is real or not. I mean, we need to decide if they said you can, that you're able to tax income. We, I don't even know if this holds up in the courts if you try to do mark to market. And oh, I, I think the idea of so we talk up with about a, it. Why don't we do the court test first before we just do backflips trying to you know? And we're going to talk that's to the, that's the process and the way Lauren it goes. But I, I think it's it's valid to have these conversations to understand why our system works. I, I, I really why because, our system works? Yeah, why it <laughs> oh. does work. I, I, I think there are a lot of things you don't want to mess with, and I oh, think you should. I think don't you want to fix some of this? It. Don't you think that there's? Look, I don't know how. I, I guess there's a way. We I, can have I, a larger conversation about whether buybacks work or don't work. I think there's a valid conversation. To be had about whether executives are selling into the buybacks. That's like obvious. It, I thought Jay like, made a great point that that's like that's they, the time. That I don't I don't immediately assume that all all CEOs are robber barons and, and trying to game the system and trying to enrich themselves. I mean, we all we, we all I mean, obviously we used to do it. We didn't want to do this compensation. Then we didn't want to do EBITDA growth because that then they're going to game that. No, no. However, they try it there. But the, the question just, is whether if you have the option to effectively goose your shares, whether you should be allowed to sell into that. I think we all would say that you should not be allowed to do that. We, no, but that seems like a very basic thing. Fixing goosing. that problem itself. Yeah. I, I, well, the question is that you have to push it out. It's, you have to push it out to some degree. On the 10 before 5 one plans, and you have notes, to actually force and he, people and to notes, hold on if, to the if, shares. I, I think that's valid I mean, to say to, lots to, of things to you not have to let do. you get an out for the 10 foot. But I think what happens is we get into the details and everyone says, oh, I can't do anything. And then nothing happens. And then we sit here, and then and then well, we have. But I, but I think the original intent for this law, the idea of saying like that you can't sell for three years, interest. is just to make sure you shut down stock buybacks forever. And I don't no, think that's. No, I, I don't think none of this prevents people from pursuing buybacks at all. It you does can if your entire compensation is in stock and no, you no, can't no, no, sell no, it. No, 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 no. It, it doesn't prevent it at all. It, 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 all it does. What's the point of three years? There's no way all, that a stock buyback for all three it does years is, would have a goosing impact for three it years. It prevents people from abusing their position. That's a punitive issue. If for three years, just the fact that they did for three years, that is punitive to make it so you never want to do a stock buyback. I don't understand otherwise. There's no way that a stock buyback has an impact that lasts a year out even, not, let alone three years. That's a completely punitive reason just to throw it well, out look, there because you, they the, don't like the, stock buybacks. The conundrum is if you put a buyback program in place, the buyback program typically is announced and lasts oftentimes a year to begin with. So you right. don't so want people selling during that. you can that. never sell stock. No, no, no. First of all, just it's not like rolling so you can never sell your stock. 
It's like a tranche of stock. You get a stock in this in, in year one, it's 2022. You can sell your stock in when 2025. When will Tim Cook be allowed to sell shares under this In 25, program? 26, 27, 28, 29, There's a stock 30, buyback for Apple that is constantly no, on. No, I understand that, but that, that just prevents that whatever, whatever the compensation is that he has in that year, he gets pushed out for three years. It's not that he never gets paid. It's that it's it's the same way your restricted okay, but, stock gets available to you every three years. Right, but the, I was going to say you already are waiting for the vesting period for most of those shares. You're not. And then if you want to goose your own so stock, which is your privilege years, to do, but if you're a long-term investor and you believe that that's and then the you right have decision, to wait three years beyond that. Then you wait, but so then you wait beyond about that. Six, seven years. You wait you're beyond waiting for being able to use it. That's the choice. Three years doesn't make sense to me. That's the choice that you make on behalf of three the shareholder rather than for yourself. That's why I said maybe it doesn't make sense to me. So maybe it's two years. Maybe it's a year but Maybe the it's point three is months well i think you're not going to be able to make it work for three months we have a a a zeitgeist in this country and senator elizabeth warren is one who thinks all buyback whether even if a ceo doesn't have any stock all buybacks are goosing the stock she said that before i don't think that's why companies do buybacks all the time to goose the stock i think they do it for a lot of different but that is going to be the rationale and they're immediately the knee-jerk reaction from the entire progressive wing of the party is that all buybacks do or do stock. Then I guess every time you issue stock is some morally wonderful thing because you're increasing the float. It makes no sense. A company needs to be able to, to manage its balance sheet in the way that it sees fit. If everything else is overvalued, they don't do a merger and acquisition. If they have enough workforce, they don't just hire people because they don't need them. If they've done, already deployed enough for research and development, you don't just say, do more, do more, do more that you don't need. But you can still buy back the shares. Nobody's preventing you from buying back the shares. They're no, taxing it. I'm talking 1%, about the idea. I'm talking about and the, idea. Saying we're gonna, the idea that it's always goosing the shares. And it's always by the way, it is always goosing the shares. No, That's not. why Carl Icahn and every activist investor in America goes to companies and says, please buy back your shares. That's the point well, of it. Somebody Sometimes just, it's, it's a good idea. There's somebody on Twitter who just put out the idea that if companies can't buy back undervalued stock, you would see the return of corporate raiders. And that's a valid point probably, too. I mean, it's just, it's complicated stuff. That's why we're kind of arguing through all Lowers these points. Lowers the float, increases earnings per share, helps shareholders, pension plans are invested. I mean, I... And I, by the way, if it's, that's why it when it's the right decision for shareholders, Companies should absolutely do it. Nobody's saying don't do okay. it. Okay, and just, then if he happens to have some shares, who he or she happens to have some shares, who he can't. Not in the in the okay. same way. That's like an. That's the equivalent of the insider trading the component. Not, agree, it should not be happening in the same breath. So you just no have to figure out the right timing. It's, it may not be three years. As I, I said this yesterday, it may, three years may be too long. Maybe it's two years. Maybe it's one year. I don't think it's three months because I don't think you make it work for three months. One man's view. Coming up on Squawk Pod, who better to ask about higher taxes on corporations and on America's billionaires than Senator Elizabeth Warren? You know, if you're going to ask me, am I really worried that the heads of these major corporations are not getting paid enough? My answer is going to be no. I'm really not worried about that. It's pretty lively. We'll be right back. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older like a family vacation or starting your dream business welcome to connie's coffee how may i help you aarp's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds that's why the younger you are the more you need aarp start planning today at aarp.org money tools 
electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Squawk Pod from CNBC, where we've been talking all about buybacks, billionaire taxes, and how they make up key parts of President Biden's proposed budget. We heard from Senator Pat Toomey, Republican of Pennsylvania. He joined us from the busy Russell Rotunda in the U.S. Capitol, and he pointed out that we have a current system of funding the government largely through income taxes. The top 1% of Americans earn about 20% of all the income and pay about 40% of all the income taxes. Paying twice the rate of, uh, of what their income is uh, in terms of the percentage of total taxes is somehow not fair. Makes you really wonder what they think about the 50% of Americans who pay no taxes. If not everybody has skin in the game, there's no reason to think that they wouldn't want rates to continue to climb forever and ever because it's not going to impact them when it gets to these things. Right. Maybe the, the way of coming at this, exactly. though, is, is how does this play out? A vote in a swing state here or there is going to decide some pretty radical differences in tax policy between the two parties at this point. I think Republicans are going to take control of the House and the Senate, and then we're not going to be having conversations about these crazy new ways to raise taxes on people who already pay a lot in taxes. Toomey's comments and the discussion caught the attention of our next guest, a colleague of his, in the Senate. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin, and you'll hear from Joe Kernan and Becky Quick, too. We're going to continue this conversation. Joining us right now for more on Biden's uh, new budget and billionaires tax. Uh, joining us is Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts. She serves on several committees, including banking, finance and armed services. Senator, thank you for joining us. I'd start with this. Just how realistic do you think any of this is, uh, given that a number of tax proposals and other things that have been uh, uh, have been put on the table before haven't happened? I think that we have a fundamental question that we're going to address in the 2022 elections, for example. And that is, we just heard Senator Toomey say once again that if the Republicans can get in power, they want to raise taxes on all of America, on working families in America, on half of people. They want to raise taxes on people who are living on Social Security, people who are making minimum wage, people who are in the working class. What Democrats are saying is that we've got a plan to try to raise taxes on the millionaires and billionaires, the people at the top, who are not even paying taxes at the same rate as everyone else. Our tax system is badly broken, and it's broken because it makes an underlying assumption that everybody just kind of earns money in the same way. And if you tax, all that matters is what's the marginal rate on the highest income earners. But now, when we've got so many billionaires who have all of this huge unrealized gain in stock and they manage to live massively lavish lifestyles without ever paying anything or paying only a small amount in federal income taxes, we can't keep that up. 
We can't keep it up in the government. We can't keep it up in our economy. And we can't keep it up in a functioning democracy. So the Biden White House has stepped up and said, we have a plan to change that. Senator, but do you think that there's different ways to do it besides the idea of taxing unrealized gains? There's constitutional questions about whether you can, you can even do that. And, and I want to play for you a clip uh, from an interview that we did this morning. This was um, a billionaire, Mike Novogratz. He invests in a lot of cryptocurrency, which is a very volatile assets. And this was what he had to say about the idea, and by the way, a Democrat, uh, his, his thoughts on taxing unrealized gains this way. It's just a crazy idea, practically. I mean, I think of, you know, stocks that I've owned from Fortress to Galaxy, you know, have had wild volatility. I mean, there were times of, you know, you declared my income at the end of the year and I had to pay 20% on that, I'd be bankrupt within six months because the stock fell so much. You know, it makes no sense. People don't have the difference between liquidity and paper wealth is at times gigantic. And so I think it's just practically, you know, an impossible idea. What do you think of that? You know, first I want to say, try explaining to a public school teacher who's just trying to pay for childcare and make it to the end of the month or to somebody who's working minimum wage, that the difference between liquidity and paper wealth is just enormous. You know, the, the provisions that the White House has put forward give a long period for smoothing this out. They don't just say you have to pay every penny right at the end of the year. They've actually worked out an account for volatility. What this is really about is whether or not people who are making their income by the appreciation of stocks or other investments should have to pay something to make this country run and should have to pay it on an annual basis. The White House has figured out a way to do that, and I think it's a step in the right direction. Me? I still support a wealth tax across the board. That is a different thing. I think we should have a small amount that we pay every year on total wealth. The White House is focused on income, on the appreciation that people are making year by year. I support them for that. It's a way to say those at the top have to pay a fair share too. Senator, I, I think a lot of people, we, we just look at the, the current view of billionaires or, or really successful people on the, uh, the progressive left, and I think shared by you. Um, and, and I wonder if you think it's shared by most Americans, specifically thinking of someone like Elon uh, Musk and what he's created. Tens of thousands of jobs, uh, billions of dollars of shareholder wealth, and yes, for himself as well, uh, and in the process changed the world, really, in our country. And he's, he's one of us. He's, he's proud. He's the United States. He recently said he'll pay $11 billion in taxes last year, and yet you've said he needs to stop freeloading off the rest of this. Does that really ring true to you, so Senator? Sh sh but, but shouldn't he be celebrated and not disparaged as some sort of modern-day robber baron? So look, I'm happy to celebrate success, but let's remember Elon Musk didn't make it on his own. He got huge investments from the government, from taxpayers, from those public school teachers and those minimum wage workers who've been paying their taxes all along to get that business up and running and help see it through rough times. And the thing is, as Americans, we're glad to help make those investments. We're glad to all have a hand in helping create all of those jobs. All we're saying is when you make it to the top, to the very tippy, tippy top, then pay something in so everybody else gets a share. 
Elon Musk paying this year, that's great because he chose to sell some stock. 2018, also one of the richest people in the world. How much did Elon Musk pay that year? We actually saw his taxes that year. And the answer is he paid zero. But, but Senator, the, do you the think The public it, school it, teacher it, did zero... not have the option to pay zero in 2018 or in 2021. I understand that. If he had never been born, do you think that the $11 billion is, is like a zero-sum game? Someone else would? The, the bottom line is, because he created that company here and it's this successful, why not celebrate the $11 billion that he's paying? It's more than, than, than every senator and every, everyone in public government for their entire do, career do you want won't, me to won't answer? contribute that much. Do you, do you I, want okay. to give me a chance to answer? Okay. I celebrate success. How many times okay. do I but have to say that? he's not a freeloader. He's not a freeloader that. Can I finish my sentence? Okay. I celebrate success, but I think when people make it big, you've got to make an investment back in this country so we have a chance to help the next company, the next person who's got a great idea. We have a chance to invest in their education. We have a chance to invest in the infrastructure. And yes, we even have a chance to invest directly in these businesses. That's what we have done. Nobody got rich on their own. They got rich because of the investments, at least in part because of the investments all of us made. And what we're asking for is to say, when you make it big, yes, let's have a big party. Let's throw the confetti. But let's also ask that you pay a fair share in taxes. The 99% pay about 7.2% of their total wealth in taxes every year. That top one-tenth of 1% pays less than half as much. That's not right. Make an investment so the next Elon Musk gets a chance to make it big as well. Hey, Senator, one of the other parts of the proposal that the Biden administration has put forward uh, is about effectively trying to uh, discourage, to some degree, buybacks, uh, something I know you've been quite critical uh, about. And one of the the measures in place beyond a 1% tax is this idea of changing the dynamic or creating a, a blackout window so that uh, senior executives at companies that are behind the decisions to pursue buybacks can't not only sell into them, but probably can't sell into them for something on the order of three years. And the question is whether three years uh, is the right number, whether it could be two years or one year or less. Or five years, which is actually, I think, what I proposed initially. But the point is to try to align the incentives better. We've seen from the research that what happens is these big corporations do buybacks and the executives are the ones who profit. They cash out quickly. The idea is to align the incentives so the, the uh, executives are in for a decision that has to have an effect over a longer arc of time. And I think it's a sensible approach that the White House is advancing here. I support them on this. Here, here's the, one of the questions, which is you do want capital to go where it's going to be best used. And one of the things that's unique about this moment, and one of the reasons I imagine there's so many buybacks of companies, uh, rather than investments in R&D, or frankly acquisitions, very hard for a big Fortune 500 company uh, or some of the big tech companies right now to make big acquisitions because of antitrust laws in this country. So when the people are looking for where to put their capital to work, oftentimes they're looking at themselves saying, maybe this, maybe this is the best deal. H- how should an executive team or a board square that idea with what may turn out to be a disincentive for them 
uh, along the way. Um, and again, I, I don't disagree with the idea. I don't believe that anyone should be able to sell into a buyback. That, that I, I absolutely think you want to discourage. But I think at some level, you know, a year or two out, maybe you, you would like people to actually be able to benefit the same way the shareholders might. Well, you know, we have to remember that the executives are the ones who have much more control over this. So putting somewhat more restrictions on them on when they can sell makes sense under those circumstances. Also, we'd like to see these companies put more money into R&D. And if the companies really say they don't have any use for the money, then fine. Send it out in dividends to your shareholders. You don't have to do it in buybacks. This is just another distortion because of a tax system that doesn't work. So there are ways to get the money back to the shareholders. Pay dividends. You know, part of the problem is that we, we have set up the incentives so that executives are paid in stock. We wanted them to be aligned with the shareholders to begin with. What if this has the unintended consequence of going back to saying, OK, we're not going to we're not going to pay our executives in stock as much because it's too onerous to wait for them to get paid. We'll just pay them in cash again, which puts us back at the point we were trying to prevent with Sarbanes-Oxley, which was we wanted them aligned with shareholders and to have more stock compensation. And by the way, they wait a lot of times already three or four years for those shares to vest before they're able to do it. Now you're going to say they have to wait another three years before they can sell any of those shares. So you're talking about seven years after the work that they've done for the year, they get paid for. That just seems like an awfully long lead time. You know, actually, I think the history of this is a little different. I think that we saw the move to uh, executives being paid in stock when there was actually an effort to put a cap on what executives get paid because uh, there was a sense at the time that executive pay was just out of control and had gone so far beyond what ordinary workers were making that they were trying to find, policymakers were trying to find a way to bring those into alignment. But moving over to getting paid in stock has obviously blown entirely through that rationalization. And I think what the Biden administration is looking for here is exactly the right thing. They're trying to get incentives better aligned again and saying selling into a buyback uh, is not an alignment of incentives. It does not have the executives making the right decisions on executive on uh, investment in R&D or on taking care of the shareholders overall. So they're trying to put some restriction on that. And, you know, if you're going to ask me, am I really worried that the heads of these major corporations are not getting paid enough? My answer is going to be no. I'm no, no, really not worried ask, about would, that. Would you take it a step further and say that you would also like to cap salaries? No, it didn't work. And it's not going to work. That's not where we are. The real point is, let's try to get some better alignment because what the data are showing us is that the executives apparently are putting their own interests ahead of the interests of the shareholder with these buybacks. And that we ought to put a stop to. Senator, the question I was going to ask, which relates to all of this, is are we going to discourage, we've had a big question in this country, are we discouraging companies from being public to begin with? If you look at the private companies in America, private equity companies uh, that are owned by them, the amount of money that some of those business leaders are making on a relative basis, frankly, to those in the public market, they don't even compare, meaning they're making even more. And yet that's being done effectively in the shadows and whether policies like this effectively discourage public companies and therefore access uh, by the public to invest in them. Look, the responsibility of the SEC, the responsibility of the government is to make sure 
that incentives are as best we can with policy. Incentives are appropriately aligned between the management and the shareholders. And that's what the Biden administration is trying to do here with public companies. Obviously, private companies have different ownership structures and different ways either of reassuring their investors or not. But that's up to the investors that that go to those companies. And then finally, Senator, and this is a hobby horse of mine because you and I have talked about this for a long time, carried interest. Yes. Why, why do you think that the but in this case, it's fascinating. To me. Why do you think the Democrats, which ostensibly could have taken this on in a real way, ultimately haven't. They talked about it. You've talked about it. The president's talked about it. Everybody's talked about it. And then here we are. Never happened. OK, so look. We just don't have quite enough votes to get it done. But I'm going to put it this way. Here's the big difference between Democrats and Republicans. We keep talking about it and we keep trying and we keep trying to straighten out this part of the tax code and but level the not, playing field. But who's not going along? Is, but even Senator Manchin single, has said that he, that, 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 that he doesn't like carrot interest. Not one single Republican will join us on this. The Republicans say no. We have the skinniest possible margin right now in the United States Senate. We get 50 votes on this issue, then we will get it done. The Democrats are trying to do it. The Republicans are opposed to it across Sen the board. Senator, There's the of, difference. One of your colleagues, isn't twi Twitter's wonderful, isn't it? Oh, uh, one, isn't of, it? <laughs> <laughs> one of your colleagues uh, tweeted, uh, when Senator Warren watches at Squawk CNBC, she should watch it maybe with the volume on. If she did, she would know I never said we should raise taxes on anyone, unlike her who never tires of proposing new taxes, oh. uh, new tax increases. <laughs> Senator Toomey, who Senator was on, Toomey Toomey was on earlier. Yeah, right. I, he was on earlier. Yeah, that's, think, not, that's Twitter, yeah. I think I corrected myself. I hope I corrected myself in that very sentence to okay. say raise taxes, what is it, on only 50% of America okay. that they say are not paying taxes right now. I believe that this is now the Republican Senate committee's actual position where they've said they want to raise taxes on people who are living on Social Security. They want to raise taxes on people who are making minimum wage. They want to raise taxes on working families. And that's what I thought I heard Senator Toomey say at the conclusion is that the Republicans want everybody, I believe his words were, to have skin in the game by having to pay federal income taxes. I think those Every were my words, Every single <laughs> person. Was that your language? I, yeah, I think it was my language saying the skin listening. in the game. Yeah, All no, right. I, 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 it was a conversation we were having back and forth, but I but think look, I was the one who if, used skin in the game. If the Republicans want to stand up and back off from what they've actually put in writing about raising taxes on working families, while Democrats are trying to raise taxes on billionaires, let's do that. I mean, we can both get in front of the same screenshot and do it. If the Republicans want to say that they want to back off from what they've been saying for weeks now about raising taxes across the board on people across this country, some people who do not make enough income to pay federal income taxes right now, that's their push. Our push is to raise taxes on billionaires. I'm ready for that fight. Senator Warren, we want to thank you for the conversation this morning. It's always good to see you. Uh, look forward to talking again soon. Good to see you. Do people not have the volume on? That's just, uh, you know, I guess that's possible. Uh, look Depends at, on who's talking. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, but what if you have the closed captioning on it? Uh, maybe you've got subtitles, subtitles. Still to come on Squawk Pod. I haven't... Been to a Dairy Queen? No, I'm not opposed to it.
a quick DQ run where they're thinking beyond the blizzard. I thought it was weird when it said burger flavors because I immediately thought ice cream. I don't know, uh, flavored meat. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Up track, stand by Joe. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Dairy Queen is beefing up its burger offerings. The fast food chain, which has been owned by Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway for 25 years, is rolling out five new burger flavors in the U.S. as part of its stack burger line. The new offerings include a flamethrower burger and a bacon two-cheese deluxe. It marks DQ's biggest menu expansion in two decades. I go to the Dairy Queen by me, but they are not, it's not a brazier. They don't have food. They just have the ice cream. It's an older one. I haven't... Been to a Dairy Queen? No. I'm not opposed to it, but I have not. And it's I, a great one by me. There's one, uh, I think, in, there's one in Summit. I'm not sure. Yeah. It was big during the pandemic because it has the outside window, so you don't have to go oh, in. Oh, so you can pick up. Yeah. I haven't been yeah. to a Dairy Queen in quite some time. I thought it was weird when it said burger flavors because I immediately thought... Ice cream? <laughs> Burger I don't flavor, know, ice uh, cream. flavored meat. <laughs> if you live near a Dairy Queen, number one, I'm jealous. It was a huge part of my childhood. Number two, go check out the new line of burgers and tell us how they are. Our Twitter handle is at SquawkCNBC, and we'll take Brazier and Blizzard recommendations and any podcast feedback as well. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you listen. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.